Welcome back to Voices from Healthcare. Every other week, I seek to paint healthcare in vivid color as I learn more about the human side of medicine. In this episode, we look at the life of a creative, how to humanize healthcare, and how we can begin to change the culture of medicine. We consider how to be more than your job or profession, how to avoid burnout, and how to not lose the core of who you are in the process. How do you encourage creativity within a hospital setting? How do we honor the humanity of healthcare professionals? How do we keep our love for medicine alive? Dr. Yunus and I will sit down and tackle these concepts. We look into the detailed process of publishing, the importance of variety in life, and how to bring your creativity with you into the professional space. If you would like to support the work we do here at Voices from Healthcare, there is a link listed in the episode description. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Voices from Healthcare. This podcast seeks to give practical advice to aspiring healthcare professionals and encourage those within the healthcare field. If you appreciate the message and mission of this podcast, leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to and make sure to follow the podcast so that you do not miss out on future episodes. It really does help spread the word within the podcasting world. You can also check out the podcast Instagram page at Voices from HC. Here we'll post important updates about season launches, episode information, and more. But now, please welcome Dr. Eunice, pediatrician and writer to the podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You are a practicing pediatrician, yet are also heavily involved in the creative writing world and documenting your experiences as a doctor. You really strive to bring about the human side of medicine and try to bring a holistic view to healthcare. We'll discuss details throughout the podcast, but could you just give us an overview of your distinctive role within the field of medicine? Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really honored to be here. Um, Of course. Yeah, you introduced me pretty well. So I am a practicing pediatrician. Um, I also am a communication coach for my medical organization, and I um, hold the title of Literature and Medicine Champion for Sutter's Joy of Work Committee. Um, What that means is that in addition to working as an outpatient pediatrician. Um, I also teach writing and literature classes to other clinicians. Um, And I've started to lead narrative medicine classes also, which is something I absolutely love because this is a bite-sized way to bring the humanities into a short meeting um, and remind people of some of their creativity and some of who they are outside of practicing medicine. I love that. And we'll we'll discuss some of those details as we go on. But while in college, a student can pursue a variety of majors and concentrations that will help them prepare for the medical field or the world of STEM, healthcare in general. Students yeah. typically pick biology, biochemistry, maybe kinesiology. Yet you pursued a major in creative writing and literature while at Dartmouth College. Can you talk to us a little bit about that decision? Why creative writing? What drew you into that space? 
I have always loved writing. Um, I had my first journal when I think I was in like first grade or something. And the first thing in it is a song that I wrote. I think I had a certain number of fears about pursuing writing as a career. Um, I did not want it to lose the joy um, if it became something I was obligated to do. And I also had become really intrigued by medicine back when I was in high school and I had a knee injury and um, working with a doctor and then a physical therapist, I became fascinated with the human body and thought, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn here. I want to do this too. So I went into college thinking I want, I was pre-med, thinking I wanted to go to medical school um, and also loving writing and loving literature. My thinking at the time when I chose my major was that I was going to get plenty of science knowledge when I made it to medical school. So I better take the advantage to learn as much as I could about literature and about writing while I had the opportunity at a liberal arts college. I love that decision that you went and pursued creative writing. And I've heard that more and more about the college experience that you can be pre-med and you can have that concentration, but you can still take a lot of classes or even your whole major just be completely different from STEM. And that can that can give you a, a wonderful world of, of a little bit of both worlds there. Absolutely. And, you know, if I'm honest, I was not someone who loved basic sciences. I didn't want to major in a in a basic science because that isn't where my passion lay. And I always, from the time I was quite young, felt that it was important to be authentic in whatever you choose to do. And I presented myself as authentically as I could when I applied to college. And I did the same thing with medical school. Um, It would have been disingenuous for me to major in a science because I didn't love them the way I loved writing and literature. That's awesome. Now, was there anything in your undergrad years that prepared you for the field of medicine? Was there anything that you tried to do while you were an undergrad or any experiences that you had that <laughs> prepared you well for kind of that future career? Uh, you're going to laugh, but I think what prepared me most was waitressing. Um, All right. <laughs> uh, medicine is not, I mean, it, taking care of people is not that dissimilar in a restaurant and in a doctor's office in terms of making sure all their needs are met and making sure you're not forgetting something, being able to multitask. I mean, I think that obviously was maybe my best preparation. Of course, there were other things, right? Um, I did have some teaching experience. I taught, um, I actually was a ski instructor for a good part of my college years. I, I, both at Dartmouth because they have their own skiway. And then I took time off and lived in Mammoth Lakes where I was also a ski instructor. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit of learning how to cater your teaching to whoever's in front of you and to their level of understanding. That's also part of what we do in medicine. Um, and I honestly think that literature and studying the humanities contributes quite a bit to what you can bring to the practice of medicine and how flexible your understanding can be of what the human in front of you may have experienced or may be bringing into the office. I love that. And we'll we'll get into the details later, but you're right. Like at the heart of medicine and the heart of practicing is that human element. And mm-hmm. there are jobs or there are experiences that you can have that really deal with that human side. That's not necessarily something that you look at and you're like, oh, well, that's STEM related. Of course that prepares you. But at the end of the day, if it's something human and if you learn how to interact with humans and and how to have that type of relational qualities and ability, 
Like that's so mm-hmm. valuable as well. Could you explain for us just a little bit your educational journey, kind of from your undergrad years and then kind of as you went into medical school? Um, could you just describe that a little bit for us? Sure. So I I took a little bit of a non-traditional route. Um, I did go to four-year college and I um, did, as we mentioned, majored in creative writing and literature. I got my pre-med um, requirements all done while I was there. And I was also pretty heavily involved um, while I was in college in the publishing world. Um, I edited one publication and I wrote a daily column in another one. By the time I graduated, I knew I needed a little bit of a break. So I didn't want to go straight into medical school. Um, Instead, I moved back to Mammoth Lakes and decided to be a ski bum for a year. Um, I applied to medical school from there. So I had just one year off. Um, And then while I was in medical school, um, I was in my second year I think um, when I started to do more, actually it was the beginning of third year, we started to do more clinical rotations and I just thought, this is crazy. How can I not write about this? How can I not write about it right now? And on the other hand, how will I have time to write about it with the kind of schedule that we have in medical school? So I actually um, rode my bike up the hill to the University of San Francisco. I was going to UC San Francisco for medical school. I rode my bike up the hill to USF and spoke to someone about um, their graduate program in creative writing. And so I enrolled in an MFA in writing program while I was in medical school. Then I came back to my my uh, medical school and asked them to graduate six months late so I could spread things out a little bit. Um, if your audience is primarily pre-med, you may not realize that the fourth year of medical school is actually not punishing in terms of the schedule. You have some gaps and some rotations in which you're only working during the day. That sounds, that sounds probably funny to the lay person, but only during the day, may nighttime call and not the requirements outside of hours. So there was, there's some time in the schedule. And so if you then add another six months to that, um, because graduate school allows you to work on projects more one week than another, I was able to do both programs simultaneously. So I graduated with my MD um, in December of one year, and I got my MFA in June of the following year before starting residency. That's incredible, and I'm I'm very impressed that you decided to to just go for it, to commit to that, and just realizing that there's never going to be that perfect time. And if you really want to pursue that passion and your passion for creative writing and that creative space continued to grow even when you were in medical school. And so deciding, you know what, I am going to pursue both degrees now um, because I know there's not necessarily going to be a better time later down the road. So that's that's a good initiative on your part. So. Well, thank you. Um, I want to say two things about that. I think a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking that they need they have to put on or put off what they really want to do to later. Right. I think that's a terrible trap to fall into. If your heart is telling you that you need to create, then you need to create. You don't need to wait for retirement to figure out if you still remember how to string words together because life is sometimes much shorter than we think and things happen. And medical school teaches you that if, if life hasn't already, right? Things happen to people all the time. There are all kinds of ways in which our trajectory changes suddenly. So I don't think anybody should wait to create. There needs to be a way for that to fit into daily life. Um, And the other thing I want to say is a little more self-deprecating because it's true. 
I needed deadlines. I needed to have an assignment to make it happen because for all that I was passionate about and I really wanted to write about the process in real time, I don't think I would have accomplished it if I didn't have to turn in chapters and um, if I didn't get feedback that made me really hone it and make it not just me writing in a dark cave, but really developing the writing to something that I could be proud of. Hmm. And deadlines can be so helpful in actually making sure yes. that you, you execute <laughs> on your intention. Yes. <laughs> For me, they're mandatory. <laughs> right. So right now in the medical field, you are in the field of pediatrics. Mm -hmm. Did you always have a love for that or did that kind of develop over time um, as you grew older? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, what I loved was orthopedics and I actually really thought I would do something related to sports medicine. I've always been an outdoors sports person and um, as I told you, this all started with a knee injury, right? So I was fascinated by the muscles of the knee and I made a little like modeling clay knee for my science fair in high school. So I was really sure that was where I was going. Um, and further, because I remember this older male doctor saying to me, oh, you're going into medicine. How nice. Do you want to be a pediatrician? I think based on the fact that I was a young woman, my initial reaction was, no, I'm never going to do pediatrics because you expected it. But the truth is I loved it. So <laughs> You have to you have to be authentic. You have to honor who you are and what you are drawn to. And you know, from the time I was teaching skiing long before, um, it it was a natural fit for me. I love what you've been saying of just being authentic in your approach and and pursuing something that you genuinely want to pursue and that you know full on. You're not just doing it to build a resume or you're not just doing it for a title, but you're doing it because you you actually care and you genuinely care about that profession. I honestly would not encourage anyone to go into medicine unless they felt that because our medical system right now is pretty messy. It's not um, it's not easy to practice medicine. And if your heart is not in it, it's not the right place to be. So that authenticity and checking in with yourself and what you really want and need out of the situation is I think really important to keep from burning out in the medical situation we have right now. For sure. And and even as a pre-med student, being able to answer that now of why medicine and why do I actually want to pursue that, even though it may be harder to pivot, it's a lot better to know that now instead of going to medical school and spending all of that money and that time just to realize that you're not fully dedicated to that. Absolutely. And in many cases, you know, most of your 20s, right? It's a lot of right? time yeah. to devote to something. It is. It is. It, it is an extensive amount of time and, and you need to know why you're investing in something for that long. Um, you really do need to answer that personally. Yeah, for sure. Were, were there any key mentors or any formative moments maybe in medical school that kind of confirmed your direction any experiences that you're like, yes, like <clears throat> based on this, like I really know that I want to pursue this area now, or it's it's helping me direct me into that field. Um, yes, I I think I can say yes, although I can't point to one person who was the who was truly the most instrumental. 
Um, we, my medical school class was fortunate to have um, access to Rachel Naomi Remen, who's the author of a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom, who was leading a class called Healer's Art for us as early medical students. So this was during our, our um, preclinical years when we were just doing all the book learning. And the classes were kind of an experiment, and we knew we were being experimented on to see if we could prevent burnout by giving tools to medical students to prevent it. And, you know, in these classes, we, um, I remember that we drew pictures and we wrote stories and we shared a lot of insights with one another. And it was really a chance to check in about the humanity and the human side in medicine um, and in our own trajectories to that point. What were we bringing to medicine? What was our purpose? And if we could identify that purpose, would it help carry us through? I don't remember how many sessions that class was, but a number of us chose to continue meeting. And mm -hmm. the um, other now doctors who were part of that are near and dear to my heart because we committed to one another to keep meeting throughout all of medical school. So once a month, whether we were in the book time or in the clinical time and whatever was going on, we all got together and checked in emotionally with one another. Um, it was enormously supportive and helpful and helped, I think, each of us remain true to our purpose and make sure we weren't getting off track. So I think that was probably the most formative and the most important aspect of my medical school career. And that was with my peers, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, I was fortunate that there were many doctors who touched my life during medical school and who impressed me. And sometimes it was literally one patient interaction or one moment, but it was a moment of recognition, either of what a patient was going through or what um, a student was going through. It was always the moments of humanity that impressed me. It was not heroics of, you know, getting the subclavian line the first time or, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like, it wasn't procedures or anything callous. It was always the moments of humanity that stood out to me and that reassured me that I was going down the right path. I, I love that. And I love what you said of sometimes formative moments aren't always from those older than us or aren't always from mentors who are older, but sometimes it can be with peers and it can be with those communities that you build and that can be extremely valuable. And that's great to hear that you kept meeting and you kept mm -hmm. checking in about the purpose and realizing are we aligning with our purpose are we doing what we said we would commit to and that that keeps you grounded it keeps you oriented and it keeps your eye on the the final destination which is extremely helpful i'm sure in the in the midst of the busyness and craziness of medical school in terms of your your day to day can you just describe what is a typical day in your life uh look like what are kind of the daily requirements um that you do just kind of bring us into that that world a little bit you know, I realize this may not appeal to everybody. I need variety in my life. So no, probably two of my work days are the same in that they're my two clinic days. And I have them set up really so that they are, I'm, I'm entirely devoted to clinic when I'm in clinic. So I start quite early. Um, my first patient is at 745 and my last one is at 515 or ends at 530 in any case on Tuesdays. And then on Fridays, I end a little bit earlier because nobody likes to be anywhere late on a Friday. <laughs> Everyone's done. Um, but on those days, I really am 
exclusively seeing patients, answering messages, refilling medicines, um, answering phone calls, yeah, all the all the extra things on the side. It is common for me to be at work for an hour and a half after my workday ends. Um, and I am working the whole time. I usually work through lunch as well. Um, it is all consuming. And I prefer to kind of cluster my work days this way so that I have those two days that I just don't deal with anything else. I'm, I mean, I'm still a mom, obviously, but I'm not momming. <laughs> I'm not doing anything actively in that regard. The kids are um, with their dad one of the days and um, my, pa- grand- my parents, their grandparents help out the other day um, so that I can be fully focused because I, f- I do think it's really important. I wasn't kidding about the multitasking. There's a lot of multitasking in an average day of work, just keeping track of what someone needs who's not in the office as well as all the needs of someone who is in the office um, and trying to be something like efficient and finish notes and all that. So those two days are really fully medicine. Um, and then I have a half day once a week or every other week, sorry, that I will do that also. Um, and I have to be very strict on that because I got to go pick up a kid (laughs) afterwards. So that keeps me on task as well. Um, and then my other days are my more creative days and they usually will start with a workout. So I love to do yoga and I love to ride my horse or my mountain bike or I go skiing in the winter or whatever it might be. But um, at least three days during the work week, I'm getting exercise first thing in the morning. It also helps clear the cobwebs out of my brain so I can think <laughs> and do creative stuff. Um, and then it depends on the day. Sometimes there are meetings. Sometimes I am um, creating programming. Often lately, what I'm doing is creating programming for narrative medicine that I can then share with my fellow clinicians. Most of the classes that I run are in the evenings. Although now that things are opening up from COVID, there are some lunchtime sessions that I will lead also in person. So sometimes I'm traveling to various care centers to do that. Um, by one kid gets out at three, one kid gets out at four. So during the school year, that's usually when my free time to do my creative work is over. And then I'm more focused on what the kids need um, until I limit myself usually to one evening a week that I'll schedule a class online um, on every other week. There's a creative writing workshop or a creative writing group. They're really doing their own writing. I lead the workshop group where we all critique one another's writing. Um, and then I have a book club that meets once a month and narrative medicine online, or there's another one that's a literature where we all read a short story ahead of time and then talk about it and maybe do some prompted writing. Um, so there's a number of evening classes that I, that I run and I, I love doing that. That's usually after dinner. So <laughs> my day is a little bit crazy when I'm not in the office, um, which is why I kind of protect those office days and I don't try to do anything else because the other days I have a lot going on. You have a very unique rhythm of the work week, and I love how you do section off those times to be more creative and to allow that creative space um, to be able to clear your mind, to be able to think clearly, um, which is very, very beneficial, um, especially I'm sure as you have your clinic days and you're, you're always on for your patients and you're very, very involved in those days. I'm sure it's nice to on the flip side, have more of those creative days to kind of balance that as much as you can. We've danced around the topic of being a creative and doing creative things and exploring your creative loves. And I want to just dig into that a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to dig into the life of a creative. Mm -hmm. So culture is a very broad term 
that is included in social behavior, institutions, norms found within human societies. It can include certain arts, laws, customs, or habits of individuals within these groups. People show elements of culture daily. We can respond to culture in many different ways. We can mindlessly just consume culture, just without thinking about it. We can just take culture in. We can critique culture and we can look at it and say, I think this is wrong, but not do anything about that to change it. Or the hardest one is to choose to create culture and to to be a creative. Culture creation is very difficult, but it's necessary as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about just being a creative, stepping into those creative spaces? Why do you think it's so important to be creative? Why, why create? Why is that an important thing to do? I have always used writing as a way to make sense of what happens around me. Um, I find that in writing about it, I learn new truths about it. I start to understand my emotional reactions to things if I do some reflective writing. Um, so part of writing, part of that need to create is just processing. It's, it's part of that absorbing of whatever else is around me. It's part of absorbing culture, honestly, because a lot of what we experience can be upsetting, right? Some of it's joyful and wonderful, right? But we don't usually need any extra time to process that. But sometimes it's just, there's whatever it might be, some self-doubt or frustration or exhaustion or, um, whatever it may be. So I think part of the creating is processing our experiences so that we can make sense of them. Um, what I, I've started to write poetry. So I wrote prose primarily before. And what I write now is primarily poetry. And what I love about it is the challenge of distilling an experience down to very few words. So what words can you choose to create in another human the same emotional reaction that you've just had to something, right? So it's really, it is an act of connection. I think more than an act of creating culture, it's an act of connecting with other people, um, even if they don't know it, <laughs> because not everybody will consume what you do. I mean, if it doesn't have an audience, it's like if a tree falls in the woods, you know, what, what really happened? So sometimes you're creating for an imagined audience, but it is an attempt to connect, um, I think, in in some way. And it's an attempt at self-definition and self-recognition. Um, and it's an attempt to be whole. You know, I think mm. it probably doesn't matter what job you do, whoever you are, you can be viewed as just your occupation. And no one is just their occupation right? We are multifaceted and complex and we sometimes have to be the ones to call attention to the other aspects of ourselves that other people don't see. That's that's beautiful of just, we are more than our occupation. We're more than our profession. And I have felt that at times, even as a pre-med student, there can be mm -hmm. that pressure of, this is who you are. You know, you're going to sacrifice the weekends. You're going to sacrifice your social life. You're going to sacrifice mm -hmm. a lot of who you are all in the name of trying to pursue excellence and trying mm -hmm. to, to become a competitive applicant. And I needed to take a step away from that. And that's part of the reason why I started this podcast is mm -hmm. just to have something that I'm creating, something that I'm hoping to to just develop and to grow, but, but something that's different from my immediate mm -hmm. day to day and something that 
that takes me out of that space. And it's been incredible to see that it's great to be a student and it's great to want to excel, but also having the ability to do something creative allows you to be whole. And it's interesting because it's almost like it's part of your identity. It's part of part of who you are and you can't exactly take that away sometimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I think especially when you're a student, um, I know I felt threatened many times, not by a person, but I just felt like I was in danger of losing myself, right? Because so much was demanded of me and so much was expected and I was capable of it, but I wasn't sure I was willing to give up everything else about myself. It's so interesting because, I mean, you're a pre-med student, right? So you know, I mean, even just getting into college, you need to be a well-rounded human, right? You have to show that you have curiosity and that you're trying all these different things. And then you apply to medical school. And again, they want someone who's a well-rounded person who has other interests and who can draw on their other experiences to be a better doctor. And then you get to medical school and you're supposed to just give it all up and study all the time and be there all the time. And that doesn't make any sense, right? It's dehumanizing. And I don't think that we need to be dehumanized to learn how to take care of humans. Yeah, that's beautiful. If at the at the core of what we're trying to do here is take care of human beings and be there for some of their most vulnerable moments in life, and it's like, mm-hmm. why aren't we trying to implement that personally on our own level before we apply that to patients? And I think especially as medicine becomes more challenging to practice because of outside factors. Um, the way that insurers operate and the way that, you know, healthcare systems operate, you know, that that becomes even more critical that we're able to um, be in touch with that human side and, and reclaim it. You know, like we we don't need to give ourselves up and then get into a situation where we're asked to give ourselves up again and more and we don't have any defenses because we've given up everything else that refilled our cups. How do you think we can try to to change the culture of medicine? How do we create a culture or an environment that's compassionate, that has that human side? How do you think we can try to implement some of the the creative loves or passions kind of Mm -hmm. into the medical field to, you've said it many times, but just bringing back that humanness to medicine? Well, I mean, I think it starts with treating one another with that kind of um, human compassion right? Mm-hmm. We we have, since I was in training, they've implemented work hours restrictions for residents that weren't in place when I was there. And there's already a little more attention on the fact that, you know, residents are people too. And they, you know, need to go home after 24 hours of working in a hospital. And I think that um, that's a first, that's a baby step. Um, but still most of us who are practicing, I think trained in the old days when you set foot in the hospital and you gave up yourself to take care of all of your patients, um, to a certain extent that's necessary. You have to have a commitment to them. Um, and while you're there, you do give up a lot of what you have going on, but there's limits to that. From my perspective, the way that I can see bringing this back and from what I am doing, it's the only thing I know how to do, bringing narrative medicine in, allowing um, there to be some spaces in which creativity is encouraged um, within a hospital setting or within a medical setting, I think is really important. There's so much more that could be done to honor that aspect of people um, that that we don't do. If I'm 
honest, I think that our medical system is going to have to have a drastic change if we're really going to honor the humanity of the people who are providing care in it. And I think that, you know, we're talking like this needs to be a revolutionary kind of change. Um, what I, I think what most of us do is we find our workarounds, right? I only work part-time because if I worked full-time, I would lose it all. I wouldn't be able to be myself. Um, some people have managed to practice concierge medicine and they don't deal with bigger organizations and they can then be very, um, they could be in control of how they practice medicine. And that's a way to get out of the situation, but it doesn't take care of everyone. At some point, the system is going to reach a breaking point because currently there's such a drive from larger systems to treat um, the clinicians taking care of patients as the revenue generators, not as the individual people taking care of patients. And that just, that can't go on forever. So for now, the right now is, you know, I think it's up to individuals to claim that space for themselves, to make sure they're nurturing that aspect of themselves, um, to take advantage of programs that offer the humanities um, or, or create your own. Um, but you, I mean, you ask a very good question that I don't think I have a full pat answer to. You do have to begin to create those spaces and you have to guard that. You really do have mm -hmm. to guard that. Yeah. And those are things that you shouldn't let up on easily because like we've said earlier, it's it's part of who you are, it's part of your identity. And if you're quick to give that up, you'll you'll lose part of who you are in the process. You'll lose yourself, which is something that's not worth losing. I I want to look a little bit at the world of publications. Mm -hmm. uh, you've recently written a memoir that's titled yes. Balance, Pedal, Breathe, A Journey Through Medical School. Yeah, so that was what I needed to write uh, while I was in medical school. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that it was written in real time, um, or most of it was. So the experiences are very fresh. This is not me looking back and reminiscing and putting on rose-colored glasses. This is very much me in the moment trying to make sense of the experiences as they happened to me. What first inspired you to write that? Why did you feel led to write that? Why, why in medical school? Why not looking back? Just yeah. some of those thoughts there. Part of it is that needing to make sense of the experience while I was in the moment, right? Like there is mm -hmm. so much richness when you are suddenly handed the opportunity to be right in the front row for the dramas that unfold in people's lives, right? A lot of life's most dramatic moments happen in hospitals or in medical settings, and all of a sudden, simply by being a medical student, not even being a doctor yet, um, I am given the privilege of hearing those stories firsthand, of laying hands on someone who's sick. Those are all kind of mind-blowing experiences when you first start medical school. And remember, I came to this from a year in the mountains being a ski bum. Plenty of my friends were would badmouth doctors, like, oh, you know, doctors just push pills and who, you know, I don't I would never go to a doctor, you know. And that's something that a lot of people say when they're young and healthy and they don't need a doctor. So it's really easy to say you don't ever want one. Um, and I wondered as I went through the experience, like, well, these are my friends, right? Do they like me less if I get the education? That doesn't make sense, right? So it occurred to me that most people have no idea what doctors go through in the process of their education and their training. 
And so in part, I wrote the book to expose some of that because I think that the average person should know what their doctor goes through to have the privilege to be there to take care of them. Um, at the time, I was less aware of negative sentiment toward doctors than I became since then. So this was before the whole anti-vaccine movement really got going. Uh, little did I know I was walking into that when I chose pediatrics. Um, and then over subsequent years, there's there's been a lot of negativity toward doctors. And I, I think pushing myself to finish the book, which I did more recently, um, it just came out last year, was in part a response to that as well. So that that's the part that is okay. If I'm looking back in retrospect now and looking at this, I think the big gap here is in communication. It's in people understanding that those who choose to become doctors give up a good portion of their youth for that privilege, right? We sacrifice a lot to be able to take care of people. And we don't do that for selfish reasons. Or at least I didn't. I don't, and I think most people don't. My experience of most of my fellow medical students was uh, really remarkably altruistic, and came at great personal sacrifice. So I think it's, I think there are a lot of stories that needed to be told along the way, and the overall story also needed to be out in the world. Mm. That's beautiful, and I I love that you started it when you were still a student and you were still experiencing those things instead of looking back on a past career or kind of reflecting mm -hmm. and musing on the past, um, mm -hmm. but how it's really valuable to have that unique perspective while you're actually experiencing these things now. And it's it's a current experience that you're having. Yeah, that, that immediacy really, it's very different when you're when you're going through it for the very first time than if you look back on it, because you're tempted when you look back to cast in a different light or doubt yourself, doubt what you experienced. You have this initial idea. You want to write this book. You feel the desire to to document this, to write this. While you're in medical school, you really feel inspired. But how do we go from this initial idea and inspiration mm -hmm. to actually holding the book in your hands, to actually mm -hmm. having the physical copy? For me, it starts with journal writing. So I kept a journal all the way through medical school. So obviously, you know, I, I wasn't writing during first year. During first year, I was just trying to survive. But right, what, I, right. what, I, what I had was, um, it didn't even count as a journal, really. It was like a day-by-day -day calendar. And the calendar, like each month took up a whole page. And so I had a little tiny square for each day. And I just made myself write two sentences each day, just whatever it was during a time that I was too busy to really write. And then I had another journal I could write more if I needed to. But um, that so it started with just taking notes along the way. Um, and then graduate school helped me put some of those notes together. And they started as vignettes, you know, like there's this little experience and that little experience. And if anyone has read Annie Dillard, she was absolutely an inspiration for me. She has this gift of being able to take stories that seem to have nothing to do with each other and link them thematically so that in the end, you can absolutely be enriched by them unexpectedly. Um, and so she was my, she was really my inspiration. So I was like, okay, I don't need to write from beginning to end. This is what I did day one, day two, day three. It was more like, hey, I had this experience and hey, I had this other experience and let's link them. So um, the chapters in my book are thematically 
uh, mostly tied to one of my outdoor activities. So um, my surgery chapter is also about being a swing dancer. So I, I learned to swing dance and when I lived in San Francisco and would go out very frequently. And thematically for me, those things linked. And so my surgery chapter is about those two very different things. And I promise that they make sense at the end. Um, my pediatrics chapter is about traveling and speaking a foreign language. Um, so that's more the style of what I end up using. And then um, in the course of graduate school, I worked to link, you know, to make these chapters the way I, I wanted them to be. And interestingly, I did, in, I did query an agent who was interested while I was in this whole process. And she said, well, but I need an, I need an arc. I need to get the whole story. We need the whole medical school story. And that was what took much longer. So I did not finish the book before I started residency and residency was too busy. And then I got married and then I started working and then I had babies and then, and then, and then, and it, it's amazing that this just kind of got pushed back and it took a pandemic to give me the time that I needed to say, okay, no, this really needs to be finished. And those missing pieces needed to be linked up so that there's a natural arc, which is simply the story of going to medical school, right? But it's also the emotional arc of doubting oneself, having small triumphs, doubting yourself again, being challenged in various ways, not knowing if there's a home for you in medicine, and then ultimately finding one. When I did get back to it, um, I also realized that I needed to find an agent or a publisher or whatnot. And sent a whole bunch of queries out. And I found a hybrid publisher um, who helped me then identify the final editors and proofreaders and get it ready for publication. And they helped me find the, the cover art and whatnot. So um, that whole process, so there was probably a, a year there of trying to hone the writing and really finish the manuscript and then try again to finish the manuscript. And then, you know, you you really need to have it workshop by people and come back to it. And so I had various workshop groups give me feedback and there were whole chapters I thought were beautiful that I threw away and said, okay, that doesn't fit here. That's painful enough. Um, but then from the time that I, it was really ready to when it was published was um, about a year. That's fantastic to, to hear that process. And there's a lot that goes into it. I've never written a book, but even just hearing you describe that process, it's very involved and you definitely want it to be an honest reflection of, of what you're trying to communicate. And sometimes you just want to be absolutely sure that what's in your mind and what's what you're thinking about is communicated honestly through the writing, which I bet is, is a challenging, long process. That's where the importance of having a group to workshop your writing with is so important. So in graduate school, that's automatic, right? The rest of your class reads the manuscript or reads the chapter that you've submitted and gives you honest feedback. When you're out on your own, it's really important to find a writing group to work with who will give you that honesty and that objectivity because we're not objective, especially if we're writing a personal reflection, right? We know right. what's in our head, so we don't know if it's on the page or not. So that was that's a critical aspect of this um, for sure. And I think it's one that people sometimes skip if they go the route of self-publishing the manuscript's good enough. And if you're self-publishing, there's no one to say, um, yeah, this doesn't make sense. For those who are interested, where can we find your book? What, uh, what platforms or where can we, where can we pick up a copy? Any major bookstore can get the book. Um, if you are someone who wants to go 
um, in a solid bookstore. You can order it online, of course, at Amazon or at Barnes and Noble. I think it's even on Kindle. So um, you have multiple options for buying it online. Specifically in terms of publication or book writing, why do you think it's important for people, especially healthcare professionals, to commit to that? If they're maybe thinking about writing a book about their experiences or they have an idea, but they're not at the point of actually writing it, why why should they consider that? Why should they consider entering into that kind of publication world? I think there's relatively little in the way of honest physician narrative. There's a great historical tradition of physician authors. Um, absolutely. There, there are big names that everybody will recognize um, in terms of physician authors. However, I think in the, you talk about culture, I think for the most part, we do not hear directly from physicians as much as we hear a patient's side of things, mostly a disgruntled patient side of things. And I think it's it's really important that we, first of all, that we have a voice, that we're able to share that. But publishing it is another step. You know, we take this this very honest and important oath when we take care of patients that their stories are sacred um, and that we will not share them. However, we also have our own stories and our own stories do need to be shared. We need to have a real conversation because currently what's happened is that um, big business has taken advantage of the fact that we are willing to work ourselves over time extra beyond what we should to make sure our patients are taken care of. And if no one is speaking up for us, then nobody knows our side of the story. So that that is, I think, a very important um, thing to do. Also, for those who are pre-med, who are thinking about medicine, how do you know what you're getting into? There are some very sarcastic biographies and autobiographies out there that make fun of the process for sure. But how do you really know what it means to be a physician? How do you know what it's like to practice or to go through training? Right? We, we owe it to our trainees and to our students to share our experiences. It's part of bringing more humanity into it, right? Secrecy, secrecy is dangerous. Secrecy allows us to be mistreated or exploited or allows you know practices that aren't really in people's best interest to continue. We have to keep the patient story sacred and we're not supposed to share that with everyone. But as doctors and healthcare professionals, it's so valuable to hear that honest perspective and to actually hear from those people who are in the field and their their actual voices. Because you're right, sometimes it's hard to actually gain immediate access there. Or mm -hmm. if you're thinking about going into the medical field, but you're not 100% committed, sometimes you can be left to be looking online, you can, you can read blogs, you can look at websites, but hearing the actual voices and honest reflections from people who are currently in that field, it's just so valuable and it's it's really beneficial to gain clarity and direction. I just wanted to circle back about uh, the pandemic and a little bit during that time. So you've mentioned before that, you know, human side of medicine is really important. That personal connection is very, very valuable and being face-to-face, -face, seeing people is very valuable for a healthcare professional and just being part of that, that drama, that daily drama of that human life. But during the pandemic, 
all, you know, all human personal connection was nearly stripped away very abruptly too. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk about from your experience as someone who really prioritizes that human side, what was it like to live through that time? What was it like to experience that of just all of that being quickly altered? My experience certainly is nothing in terms of hardship compared to that of our ER doctors, our anesthesiologists, our ICU doctors. You know, obviously the experience of having to be fully gowned and masked and dehumanized to approach another human who's suffering um, is a huge barrier to that connection, right? What were we left with? We were left with what expression we can show in our eyes. We're left with tone of voice. We're left with maybe holding a hand, but double gloved. We had far more limited ways to connect with people. And yet there were ways. The importance of persisting despite that difficulty was really demonstrated to us and was so gratefully received by the patients who were terrified. I think it made a lot of people have to question themselves. You know, as I when I say a lot of people, a lot of a lot of physicians. It's like we made we took an oath and the realization that we were in it, no matter what, we had to be there for people, no matter what. Um, was also very frightening when we didn't know very much about the transmission of the virus and we didn't know how to protect ourselves or our families. And we had to take care of people who were sick and who could get us sick. And in many cases who did get people we knew and loved sick. I think it was a real moment of reckoning in terms of commitment as a physician to our job of taking care of people no matter what. And the realization that we risked everything else that we are, that we have in order to do that. There was that brief flash in the pan moment that the public was very appreciative. (laughs) Um, It it really, it really felt good for a minute. Um, And then, you know, unfortunately politics being what they are, we also ended up being um, subject to the anger and outrage of people who were asked to wear masks to keep other people safe. In terms of the human side and the humanity, you know, we learned how we could try to reassure, especially kids. I'm seeing kids, right? And I'm trying to show them mm-hmm. through the expression in my eyes and through the tone of my voice that I'm there to help them. And you know, I'm this big gowned monster. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for just sharing some of that perspective because I know it's hard to really understand what it was like from those within healthcare and especially those who still had, you know, still had to come into work. You still had to to put a smile on your face. You still had to create a welcoming environment for these people. Um, and that's, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do um, mm-hmm. during that time. And I know many of us have experienced the pandemic um, from kind of a, a personal point of view and from a point of view that's removed from healthcare sometimes. So it's it's helpful to just hear your perspective of just some thoughts of of what that was like and the challenge, the real challenge of of working through that. You know, I would say on a on a personal level, it was difficult to have the schism between people who and I'm thinking about in terms of even just friendship socially. You know, as a doctor, there is no way that I'm going to deny the pandemic is real or that I'm not going to wear a mask or not going to expect other people to do that. And unfortunately, it did cause a split with some of our friends who felt differently. 
What it did was make it harder to have a broad variety in your friendships. It caused a more hard and fast divide between the people who understood science and agreed with science and the people who did not or who believed that this was some kind of conspiracy. And I, prior to that, felt like I could have all kinds of friends, even those who would never go to a medical doctor and, you know, were really very alternative in their approaches to everything. So what? We can still be friends. But during the pandemic, that wasn't so very possible. And I think that's one of the heartbreaks of that whole experience is that maybe because it was politicized, it really made it much harder to have variety in your friendships and in your social interactions. And that has persisted because we now have much more hostility in politics and in political conversations than I remember ever having before the pandemic. Mm, that's so true. It really is true. And it's it's a sad reality. It really mm-hmm. is. Yes, it is because we need variety, right? This comes back to do, yeah. my love of stories, right? And my desire to bring stories to other clinicians, right? We need to know how other people feel and think and what's behind their opinions. And how can we do that when we're siloed into only people who agree with us or only, you know, that's, mm-hmm. it's completely contrary to what we need as humanity is to be able to cross those all kinds of different lines and be able to talk to one another. Do you have any encouragement that you would give to fellow creatives, fellow storytellers at heart, um, other people who have that desire to to document um, their life experiences and stories or poems or any encouragement to those those types of people? Oh my goodness. If I need to give you encouragement, I can just refer you to the book that just came out, The Covenant of Water by Abraham Bergesi, right? I mean, that's, do you need more encouragement than that, right? Talk about the most beautiful book written by a physician, an infectious disease specialist who also has written other beautiful books as well. Um, When Breath Becomes Air, another recent book that is just absolutely beautiful. There are so many fantastic books written by physician observers of humanity. You will have access to such a rich, rich variety of experiences in medicine. There is no reason to shy away if you have a creative drive and want to write and create. All I can say is you have to honor that. And there will be times that you won't be able to write. There were times that I have not been able to write, Um, especially when I had young kids and was trying to work. I was so tired. That was crazy. And yet, you know, a few jotted lines in the journal here and there did a lot. Nothing's perfect. It's kind of like my work schedule, right? So sometimes you're just fully into medicine and that's okay as long as you also have those times that you aren't and you you deserve to make time for and honor that creative drive because we need it. We as a society, as a humanity need your creativity and your creative expression of all of the experiences. If you're drawn to medicine, if you feel authentically called to it as I did, it doesn't, it's not an either or. You don't give up your creativity to do it. You bring it with you. We need you to. I love that. You don't, you don't give it up, but you bring it with you because we need it. We really do need that. And, and everybody helps. Every investment into that creative space is is going to make a difference. Do you have any encouragement to your fellow peers within healthcare? I think one of the travesties of current times is that so many doctors and nurses too are leaving medicine because they don't feel valued and they don't feel that they have a seat at the table. Um, 
And I am not going to be one to say you have to stay if your heart is breaking. Mm -hmm. I hope that you will find a way to stay. I hope you'll find a way to make your work part-time or not all-encompassing or find a different work environment because we need all of these people who have put their hearts and souls into medicine are the ones who are burning out. Um, so what can I say? I see you. I care about you. I want to share stories with you. <laughs> I want to make it possible to stay. I love that. Well, it's just been an absolute pleasure to to talk with you about the life of a creative and how that's not something separate from medicine and the STEM world, but it can actually be very powerfully integrated into that world. I've appreciated talking about your book and that process of, of writing and creating and just also talking about the human side of medicine, how we can bring humanness back to medicine. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Jonathan, I am so honored to have been invited and I've so enjoyed our conversation. This has been really fun. Thank you for reaching out to me. 